Ladies and gents, this is the moment you've been waiting for, a podcast for podcasters. This is Creating the Greatest Show, and I'm your host, Casey Cheshire. Join me as we interview podcast hosts and investigate the ingredients of a successful interview podcast. We'll talk mistakes, earned skills, powerful questions, and more. This show is sponsored by Ringmaster, completely done for you, B2B podcast production. We are on. We are going to be recording an amazing conversation here today. I'm excited. I have recovered from the sickness. And what a better medication than to talk to someone who is both really, really smart and apparently super funny. Uh, fellow podcaster, uh, podcast host of the stars, lots of experience under his belt, comedian, writer, public speaker, and uh, a stand-up comedian. I mean, this will be a first but you know this will be great. Host of the Crazy Money Podcast, which I have been introduced to, as some people have said, is their favorite podcast ever, which got my attention. Paul Ollinger, welcome to the show, sir. Thanks for having me, Casey. All right, man. Well, we're here. Do you ever have people, when, when they find out you're a comedian, that they're like, oh, make me laugh on the spot? Yeah, that's, that? uh, that's a pretty typical response. And it's yeah, it's kind of like, yeah. When it's you the have one you want to hear the least. I should probably have a right. uh, more canned response for it, but I don't. I just, <laughs> I just look at them with withering eyes and hope yeah. they walk away. <laughs> yeah, it's like when people make a joke about your last name, you're like, yeah, I haven't heard that one before. Yeah, You know, it's just like, for okay. Sure, yeah. Or, you know, I did magic as a kid. So they're like, oh, cool. Do a trick. <laughs> There's a concept. Well, first of all, they're illusions, not tricks. Uh, right. As you know, if you watched Arrested Development, tricks are something yes, hookers yes, do for money illusion. or cocaine. Uh the uh the the thing about the 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 comedy thing what was i going to say oh i don't know anyway oh yeah there's this concept in comedy called the second bus right so if you're writing a joke about a topic you don't take the first bus that comes by you think about something that's less obvious you want to get on the second bus that hasn't been considered yet so that you're doing a joke that is that is not going to be done by 500 other comics and that's called the second or even third bus right so Dang. Um, so when you meet somebody who has an obvious joke associated with his or her last name, don't say the thing that 500 people have been saying to them since middle school, right? <laughs> it's the other thing you should say. <laughs> yeah. Be more clever. Be more clever. Be, be, yeah. wait, so no wait. one knows how to spell that name. Something be else. non-obvious. Um, yeah. Well, dude, let me ask you the question that starts this show off with a bang, which is pull back the curtain for us on your podcast and share your most important strategy for a great interview show. I would say uh, drink as much as you can before you start the interview. There it is. No, I'm just I'm just kidding. I was uh, just want to see if I could surprise you. Uh, preparation is my is my secret sauce. Some say I over prepare, but I always feel like you know when I started this podcast, and I can't believe it's been four years, but four years, 160 episodes ago, I was reaching out to some pretty pretty well-known people. And I felt like, well, if I'm asking them for their time, if they, and if they're going to honor me with their time, then I need to express my gratitude by being prepared and having a thoughtful conversation. And I think we've all heard, or we've all been, you know, had, had some of those interviews where the, where the interviewer is, is looking to you, to the guest, to fill the air as if, as if, as if it's your podcast instead of theirs, and that they it, it, and you show up and they you want they want you to deliver something that they haven't put in the time and preparation to 
to make into something, right? So on that was my plan for today, by the way. Right. Well, no, I mean, I'll do my best, dude. <laughs> but but the, the least you can do is throw me, you know, throw me bones to work with. And so I think that's the thing. When you when you right. when you're asking uh, an author, academic, or a business leader, celebrity, whoever whoever to share their time, you have to say, what can I do that they might not get from other types of interviews that they do? And so if you think about big media, traditional media, people who are on the air every single day, they're going to have some author of a book on. They don't have time to read the book of you know, some new author. They don't have insightful right. questions. They don't have, they haven't taken the time to really think it through. They've maybe read the summary. They've read the bullet points that the publisher sends over. But you as an independent podcaster can read the book. If you're doing one episode a week or three a month or whatever it is, sure. you can read the book and honor that person by saying, hey, look, I really think what you're doing is interesting. And um, I want to ask you about this quote you wrote that really resonated with me. And they don't get that from, you know, the, the today show or whatever it's, it, they just, the, the, the mechanics of producing that kind of show don't allow for the same kind of depth that, that a podcast does. And I think, especially with authors, you know, a, they work on a book for three years, it comes out, there's a big flurry of activity for 30 or 45 days, if there's any activity at all. And then it's crickets. And so if you talk to them three months after their book comes out, they're hungry to continue talking about this, this thing they've put so much of their life into. And so you have the opportunity to really demonstrate interest in, in, in what they've spent a lot of, a lot of effort on. And I, I find that they, they appreciate it uh, tremendously. Yeah. You, you, you earn that trust that that's hard to build, right? It's, I mean, you don't have time. You don't, Sometimes it's a quick interview and you don't have the time to be able to show them that you're trustworthy. You go on a, like a wilderness trek together and become best friends, but you can show them that you, you put in that time and respect them. Nah, that's, that's really, does it, does it change the, the scenario? Then they, they kind of perk up, right? They're not like in the, just another interview. Yeah. I mean, I think that I, I, I think that they do really appreciate it and they and they go oh this guy's not just not just looking to churn out some other episode in the name of volume because i right. think that's what a lot of people do is that you know they're trying to get they're trying to get guests on just to collect you know uh like like guest taxidermy on their wall of <laughs> of, of of people that they've interviewed and 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 i certainly am proud of the quality and 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 stature of the guests i've interviewed and I use that to help to help secure, you know, future interviews, because when somebody looks at, I interviewed a guy named Will Store last week or two weeks ago, he's the author of a book called The Status Game. And mm -hmm. I said to him, you know, how does status work when some unknown podcaster reaches out to you and asks you for the for the you know, for the courtesy of an hour of your time? And he goes, well, it's totally a status game because you sent me all the guests that you've interviewed. And I looked at them and go, these people have more status than I do. So I'm going to do your show. <clears throat> right. Which is, you know, intentional. But what I really mean to do by that is to show my potential guests, like, look, I'm not a clown. I've got a history of talking to important people who have substantive ideas and I do my best, you know, to, to really grapple with them on a, on a, on a, I don't I want to say intellectual, that sounds a little self-congratulatory, but on a, <laughs> on a materially, um, engaged way about the topic that they care so much about. And I've got the chance to talk to these experts who have studied these things for thousands of hours. Isn't yeah. it a great opportunity for me to learn a little bit from them and to share some of those learnings with my audience? So, so tell me about it then. And by the way, I love guest taxidermy. 
So it is helpful. I just made that up, bro. We just, that was a moment of creation. Uh, real life right there. It's literally going in the book and I'm going to put your name next to it. All right, it's, cool. It's definitely there. Uh, so it's good, but because it, it, got, it got you the new guy, it got you store, but it, it's also, it can be bad if you make that number one or how do you balance that? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. And I think that, I think that it works for some people and doesn't work for others. For example, and this is just, this is just my experience. So take it for what it's worth. But I, no, it's, I don't it's gospel now because it's on this podcast. I have, I have a better hit rate booking male guests than I do booking female guests. And I think part of the reason might be the way I approach them. And it might be a little too alpha in the sense that I'm approaching them and saying, look at all these incredible people that I've spoken to. And I think that might turn certain kinds of people off. And I don't know. I mean, I've, I've really taken great care to reach out to more women because I, I don't want it just to be, I don't want my podcast to be just some bro podcast. Um, right. Not that there's anything wrong with middle-aged white dudes talking to each other. Right. Casey? What's wrong with a good bro cast. <laughs> right. But I do want it to be, I want it to feel more interesting and alive and, and, and diverse, not divert, like not diverse, but dynamic. Right. Like yeah. I, it's, what's it going to be next week? What, what are we going to talk about next week? I don't know what it's going to be, but Ollinger's going to surface somebody good and they're going to have in-depth conversations that I'm going to one, enjoy and two, learn something from. And so, uh, I do, th- I do think that I do think that I'm, I, 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 I'm, I need to, and will continue to try to be a little bit more other person centric when I, when I do my outreach and say, your work interests me and here's why, oh, by the way, just so you know, you're not talking just so you know that I've, I've, I've taken time to really curate my guest list. Here are some people that I've spoken to in the past who's work you might know or admire or something like that. You know, I, right. I think I could do better in soft selling it as opposed to being like, yo, look at all these people. I talked to LL Cool J and you did I saw you know <laughs> and Nobel Prize winners and blah blah blah. Look at me. Yeah. And then like and I've still never heard of you. So what what's that all about? Yeah. It, what what is that? Um why why do people join pot why did you t- join my podcast because you asked because i you know asked? i mean well yeah i mean there's because i didn't alpha you at all no you didn't you had a you had a trusted common associate recommend true. you yeah and true. i think that's probably you know recommendation is probably the best way if if i trust somebody and they say hey here's a good guy who's interested in talking to you yeah i'm gonna say yes gotcha. right that's you know, cool. I have said no to other podcasts that I feel like are trying to do things politically that I'm just not interested in being a part of. Yeah. I'm a pretty moderate person, politically speaking, you know, and I've had people even ask me recently, you know, if you want, if you were to go one way or the other, left or right, you know, and it's sad that there's only two directions you can go in our politics right now. But if you were to really go hard left or hard right, you would have a, you would have an easier time carving out an audience. And I'm like, I think the world has enough of that stuff right now. I'm more of a yeah. moderate and it's harder to find an audience, but, but, um, so I, I, I don't do every single podcast, but if the person sounds intelligent and well-intentioned, I'll do their podcast because right. I'm trying to get the word out, man. Like I care about right. what I'm doing. And as you know, it's a hell of a lot of work to put these things together. And, you know, another, 
another 50 people or a hundred people that learn about it. You do that 10 times a year, you're growing your podcast in a, in a meaningful way. And, and, you know, I'm in the, I think I'm in the like top five, top 0.5% of podcasts. And I'd be interesting to talk about that in a second too, but uh, it sounds really impressive, but there's like 18,000 podcasts that have more listeners than I do. Right. (laughs) I mean, the number of podcasts out there is staggering. It's almost incomprehensible. And the percentage that have fewer than 10 episodes is massive, but there's a, there's a, there's a really critical discovery issue in podcasting. And it's just, it's just really hard for people to find good content, even if they might be totally predisposed to like it. And the winners keep winning and the platforms, you know, they say they want to surface new ideas, but there's an agenda behind who they surface and why they Mm. surface them. And, and, uh, so it's very, very hard to get discovered. Yeah. Lots of great topics here. Before we dive into top five and some discovery, I just want to follow up with you on the preparation because I feel like it's a moment in time where I can just really dive deep into that topic with you. I get the sense you're reading the books uh, Nobel prize winner. Are you reading? Like how, how are you preparing? Like, is it just reading the book or do you have a systematic, do you write out a script? Do you pre-write out questions? Yeah, I, I do. I do. And, and I should probably, I, I, I've been, I've been given feedback that I should make it looser, that I should just have conversations. You know, the way Rogan has, he just has conversations with his guests. Yeah. yeah you know, he doesn't prep a single thing. At all? He, well, he's Says prepared, but he doesn't, but he's, you know, he just sort of like asks open-ended questions yeah. and says, you know, what about this thing? Or what about that? He does read really the talk. book. I think, and he kills time. Well, for some people he does, but then he, you know, they talk about UFOs and, you know, how to live to a thousand years old and stuff like <laughs> that. And then, and sometimes like, I like for Rogan, I'll look at who he has on the show and I'll, I'm probably interested in about 20% of the people that he has on. Yeah, but for those twenty percent, I'll listen to three hours of the conversation. Oh, I'll yeah. listen to Quentin Tarantino. I'll listen to Adam Durwitz from the Counting Crows. I'll listen to I can't remember who else, but like I don't care about MMA. That's not my thing. I don't care about cryogenics or you know putting your brain <laughs> on ice or whatever the hell it is, right? Uh, but I do care about like cultural icons that he can get. Roger Waters was on from Pink mm. Floyd. And I'm like, oh, I want to listen to that. Turns out they talked about politics for the first 30 minutes and I wanted to hear about the music. But anyway, <laughs> how do you prepare? I prepare by reading the book while I'm reading the book. I probably listen to three quarters of the books and read 25% of them. But as I'm reading the book, I'm making notes. I'm I'm writing in my notes app on my phone and on my laptop simultaneously what kind of questions do I want to ask these people? So for example, and I I do this for every book that I read, by the way. So I might not be able to get a guy like Scott Galloway, for instance, Mm. but I'm, I've read his book. And while I'm reading his book, I'm making notes because someday I want to talk to him. Maybe I'll get him. Maybe I won't. But Richard Reeves, for example, he's a guy from the Brookings Institute institution. He came on years ago to talk about his book, um, the dream hoarders, which is all about upper middle class people and how they're doing better. And, and sort of that there's, there's basically this glass floor below the upper middle class in America that makes it hard for people to change status class, class status and stuff. He's got a new book out about men and boys and that I've read and, and I'm probably going to interview him, but I've got all these questions that I'm going to, that I'm going to ask him. We talk about the gender pay gap. What kind of men does the world need? I'm reading my questions by the way. 
Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the world sends boys and men mixed messages. What is that about? He he had some thing. He 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 had some commentary and some thoughts on Jordan Peterson. I want to ask him about that. So these are the kinds of things that I'm that I'm thinking about. I'm, I'm like, what would be an interesting question that other people wouldn't ask him? Or how do I take a funny approach that's going to make him laugh and um, maybe take his defenses down, which sometimes can work the opposite direction. I asked Guy Raz, the the guy who produces How I Built This, big podcast, and he wrote a book called How I Built This. And I'm a fan of his, and I'm a fan of NPR. And so I started the the conversation, and I was like, I I basically um, listed all his credentials. And then I said, Guy, what's Terry Gross like? (laughs) Like, what's it like (laughs) to know Terry Gross? And and that was my opening question. And, And what it did, though, I think was... He started laughing, but he's like, I don't know her. And I was like, what? How do you not know Terry Gross? Like you're, you guys have both, he, you've been at NPR for whatever, 20 years. You don't know. And then it, it's sort of like, I think it kind of closed. I, I meant it to be a laugh and to open up the conversation. And Alec Baldwin says, Alec Baldwin's got a great podcast too called Here's the Thing. And it's, he's a great interviewer. He's got a great sense of humor. He's wicked, sm- wicked smart. smart. And, uh, and he says that at the opening of the conversation or at the top of the conversation, he wants to open up the conversation and get the person to, 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 to start thinking as broadly and creatively as possible. And I wanted to do that with Guy, but I think I actually closed him down. I'll give you another example. <clears throat> I interviewed AJ Vaynerchuk, who is the co-founder of Vayner Sports. And he's, and he's you know, well-known as Gary's brother, which he acknowledges with great um, warmth. And, Did you and introduce him as that? No, I didn't, but I didn't, but he dressed it right up top. Gary's or, um, uh, uh, AJ is, he's great. He's like Gary, but kind of like at an eight instead of at a 15. (laughs) And AJ was like, I asked him the first question I asked him because he's a sports agent now and he's using all this intelligence he has from like the social media world that from Vayner media and all that kind of stuff and the brands that, that he worked with there. And I, but I asked, I wanted to talk about it. I wanted to get him thinking about what sports meant to him. And so I asked him who his sports idols were when he was a kid. And so it, you could see him look back into his head and say, oh, these are the people that I really loved growing up. And so you want to get them into sort of this place where they're emotionally engaged and they're mm. sharing, they're sharing stuff that's about who they are underneath, you know, the, the skin, as opposed to, Hey, here's the talking points I have on this book. I like that. The, I like the person underneath the talking points the best. I don't, have have you ever had guests where the, you only get talking points? There are certainly guests who, um, who who have media handlers and who are really afraid of 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 going under uh, of showing anything other than the talking points. Yeah. And those guests suck, by the way. That's they not do. who you want to talk to. <laughs> they do. You know, I wonder honestly, if maybe your those people. questions I mean, break so, that. I mean, what's that? I wonder if maybe your custom questions break that. Well, I mean, I think that, well, first of all, a lot of, not a lot, but I mean, I'd say out of 165 interviews that I've done in four years, something like that, I think I've had fewer than eight whose publicists have asked for the questions up front. Like that's a pretty small number, but when they do to me, it's a red flag. It's like, you know, I get why certain high profile celebrities want to make sure that my intentions are good, but sometimes you're talking about people who are really, really, you know, not public people. I mean, they're not, 
the the fact that they're, they're they're what it is is they're part of organizations that are super tight and um i'll say it dave ramsey's organization where you know they they're sitting there trying to micromanage the 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 conversation so that they can stay on message about whatever it is and that they don't want to be embarrassed and was that when you talked to acuff or was he still no 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 acuff's i don't think acuff's part of uh, john's a great interview he was he went rogue he was but he was this i talked to him afterwards and i didn't look i'm not making fun of ramsey i'm but but like i'm not a fan and i think because i don't think he's genuine and i think Mm. he's i think he's full of it and i think that you know like it was one of his guys um who has since been fired because he had an affair or something and um, I can't remember his name, but it's all kind of like, yeah, I heard he got fired because he, he went into debt. <laughs> no, no, he went into something, but it wasn't debt. <laughs> he went into someone, not something. Someone instead of something. Yeah, so um, anyway, I think that, you know, they want to stay on message and like, you know, if you veer from that or if you, you know, and like, that's not fun. Who needs that? Like, like the, the reason podcasts are fun is because there's no rules is because right. You can't be censored is because this is actually, and it's these are the, the good and bad of podcasting is that anybody can do a podcast and they can do it any way they want. Mm-hmm. And as long as you don't veer into some pretty vile hate speech, you can create anything that you want. Now, the, the downside of that, obviously, is that the supply of podcasts out there, especially of sort of, you know, linear one-on-one conversations like this one is the, the supply is unfathomably large. And so, and so how do you do something that's different? You, you try to bring your personality to it. You try not to stick to the rules. Anybody that wants to stick to the talking points, like that's just the same old bullshit you're going to get from the next podcast. Right. So who needs that? Like you, you want, we want to try to unearth each other's humanity in these conversations. Otherwise, what's the point? Because if you're not going to do that, how are you any better than the nightly news or, you know, some broadcast? network tv show that's what they do they do you know they reduce you know i remember the rogan the rogan thing maybe it's been about a year right and and i watched cnn and cnn had like a literally a 90 second you know bit segment about the whole joe rogan problem joe rogan has produced what a thousand episodes something like that more uh, than th- yeah like 18 probably now 1800 yeah okay times Thousands. times it times at least two hours per episode yeah. so he has produced almost four thousand hours worth of content on his show and they're going to reduce the thing to 90 seconds what a perfect like contrast between the two media forms and and why people are choosing to go to the podcast instead of just relying on what's been served up to them in tiny little sound bites that that barely scratch the surface of the issue yeah. and only serve one side so so podcasting has the opportunity for people to really dive in and really get deep and 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 you know you you're literally in their ears right i mean like you're with them you're with your audience when they're going on a walk when they're driving their kids to school, after they drop their kids off, you know, while they're in the gym, like you're their companion and, and they're trusting you. They could, I mean, they could choose. There's 18,000 other podcasts that have more listeners than me. And that's just the one that have more <laughs> list, just to so have more listeners to say nothing of audiobooks, to say nothing of YouTube, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's so much choice that you have to bring something different to the table or you're, you're, you know, like you're just, 
you're the same old thing. And I mean, yeah. and I think that's what, a, that that's something I have to push myself on all the time. On one hand, it's like, yeah, I'm just, I just want to be like, I just want to be the, the channel by which I get to help my audience experience somebody that I find to be really interesting and that, that I'm, that I'm serving the audience in that way. But I think they want more. I think they want personality. And that's why, you know, like the smart list guys are so popular and, um, uh, I'm blanking on some other folks, but you know, they, 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 yeah. these are people they want to get to know better and people that they trust and enjoy hearing. And you got to bring that to the conversation. And if you just read their talking points or it's, it's a bunch of, it, it's, you're not, you're not serving the audience when you do that. Right. You're basically redoing a show that's already been done four other times. That's right. That's right. You might as well just <laughs> go watch that other one. The What's worst, the, 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 the worst, you know, the, some of the more challenging things beyond just like somebody that's like, okay, we want to see your talking points and blah, blah, blah. The, 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 the challenging ones where you get sort of, I'll get halfway or even a quarter of a way into a book and be like, oh, this isn't as interesting as I thought it was going to be. I thought this isn't was that most books though. Most books can be solved in a chapter I've heard. Well, I think that's right. And I, you know, I know another very, very popular podcaster when he interviews authors, he says, I, I read the first three chapters of their book. I don't have time to read, you know, the whole book and he doesn't, they produce far more than I do uh, f- far more frequently than I do. Right. And so, you know, that's understandable. Um, and I do think most books could be 50 pages as opposed to 310 or whatever. But nobody wants to, you know, pay twenty four ninety five for a fifty page book. <laughs> but I mean, even even more than that. Not that not that it's just too long, but that it's that I don't agree with the with the the theories that the author is espousing, or I find gotcha. the writing to be totally boring, or something like that. And so, what I try to do in that place is to say, okay, well, what if I were sitting next to this guy at a dinner party? What would be the best questions to ask him so that I wouldn't want to blow my brains out? Um, during dinner. And so that's Do you ever disagree with your it. guests? Yeah, all the time. But what, but, what's your approach but, to it? Well, my approach is to ask people on whose whose points of view I agree with. But <laughs> I mean, I don't like, dude, I, you know, I think that there's an argument to be made that having people on that you don't agree with makes for, you know, more friction and more interesting. And I could own somebody, you know, Oh, I owned a liberal or I owned a cons- you know, far right conservative. I should have Marjorie Taylor green on. It's like, why would I want to give her one second more promotion than she's Wait, is that the lettuce did? person from UK? No, who's, who's she's the, person? Oh, that was, uh, uh, the former prime minister who, who lasted for just, uh, less than her shelf life was less than a head of lettuce. Marjorie <laughs> Taylor green is the, the, uh, Republican Congresswoman from a district okay. just North of Atlanta here, who is absolutely batshit insane. And by the way, I would, I'd be, I'd happily vote for a, an intelligent and moderate Republican or an intelligent, moderate Democrat. So I'm not look, I, all I'm saying is cable news is designed on confrontation. It's designed to put people against each other and to, and to raise the level of outrage in the country. And that helps ratings, but I think there's far too much of it in the world and I don't want to contribute to it, which probably hurts my ratings, but I'm not going to be a part of that poison that's dragging our country down into this crazy stuff that happened, like that happened with Paul Pelosi last week. I mean, like that's, that's what ends up happening when you, when you play that game. So many things, so many things to ask you about. Uh, before we go into discovery, the opener question, 
I like to yeah. call it the Q1 question, the first question. You mentioned making it a broad question. Do you put any extra attention into that question with your guests? I know we had we had one that didn't quite work with, with Guy. It, do you give it more attention or is it just one of those things you'd love to have asked? I think I think it's I think it's the most important question of the whole thing because again, your audience has infinite choice in terms of how they're going to spend the next 20 minutes of their time. And right. you've got to catch them with a great question up. You've got to capture their interest in a very short period of time. And yeah, your loyal listeners will give you more time than, than um, a newcomer, but you re- really, you don't grow without you know newcomers. And so you've got to ask something somewhat provocative, somewhat interesting, um, and somewhat, you, you have to earn the trust of both your guest and the audience in a very short period of time. And so the top of the interview is extremely important. What about the end? Do you have a particular cl- question you like to close with? And do you ever repeat questions? What do you mean? Do I repeat questions? Do you ever ask the different guests the same question? Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <clears throat> the theory of the show, although we've been diving more into the role of money in the world in the past 10 episodes and taking a look at things like the opioid epidemic and, um, uh, money laundering by HSBC uh, on, on behalf of the Sinaloa cartel and the, and the implications of what happens when corporations cut corners. And by the way, I am a capitalist. I'm an avid capitalist, but it's important to recognize that unfettered capitalism often leads to some very bad stuff. I often ask what you guess the same question about, uh, the, or so go back to the theory of the, of the, of the, uh, podcast is to explore the the connection between money and happiness and work and meaning. And so I'll often ask my guests questions like, you know, what do you want your kids to know about money that you didn't know when you were a kid? Or, you know, what do you, what, what do you know about money that the rest of the world doesn't know or things like that? Um, And everybody's got a different answer to that question. I mean, you know, some of them are a little bit more predictable. Some of them are a little bit more canned, but when you have the opportunity to talk to, you know, rebel hedge fund managers or somebody who grew up poor that, you know, is a professor studying uh, the, the the human psyche or whatever, they're going to come at that question in a very different way. And right. I, and, you know, I, I interviewed my dad, I interviewed my wife, I interviewed Nobel prize winners as we, as I think we've mentioned, all these people are going to come at it from whatever mindset they have, however they see the world and however they choose to interpret that question on a given day. I've asked, I've asked dozens of my uh, guests, do they feel rich? And the answer to that question, the first of all, the, the way they interpret that question tells you a little bit about what their mindset is. You know, like some people think about it, go, oh, I'm not rich. I don't have a plane or something like that. And you're like, no, no, it, like, that's not what I'm asking. Like, do you right. feel grateful? Do you like, do you feel, do you see, do you feel lucky? Do you feel, you know, but, but so you can ask the same question over and over again. And, and, and the, I think what's interesting is the variety of, of interpretations of the same question by um, a multitude of people. Keeps it real for you too. Keeps it fresh keeps you on your toes. Why do you podcast? Why are you doing it? Well, you know, the podcast started with writing that I was doing. Okay. Um, you know, I, my backstory is that I was an early employee at Facebook and I, I had worked my entire life 
as, as a, as a kid, I grew up in a big family. We had everything we needed, but money was always tight. And I always felt like someday I was going to make a lot of money because I didn't want to stress about money. And I did make a lot of money. And then I retired at 42 and I, and I realized in a very short period of time that it, that was a horrible mistake. And I realized there was all these truths about money that we take for granted that actually aren't truths at all. They're, they're myths. The fact that um, we'll ever feel rich because the more you make, the more you get used to having that amount of money. And the more you start comparing yourself to people who have even more money than you could have imagined mm-hmm. before you made money. You know, when you're worth a million dollars, you hang out with people who are worth a half million to two million. When you make five, it just keeps growing and growing. And right. what looked like a big luxury, I want a lake house. We so get a lake house. And then you're like, well, I want to join the country club up here at the lake. Oh, and then I want a mountain house and blah, blah, blah. Our appetites always keep growing. So anyway, there's, there's a dozen myths, primary myths around money that I ran into. And, you know, they can basically be summed up in the, like, money's not going to make you happy. If you're not happy, more money is just going to amplify your grouchiness. <laughs> um, it's not going to solve the problems that you feel when you look in the mirror. Right. And so I wanted to explore that. And I, I wrote a book, I wrote a manuscript and I wasn't able to sell it, but I was, I was able to start a podcast talking about these issues with people that have informed points of view or personal, very interesting lived experiences on the topic. And, and it's been really, really rewarding. Did you ever self-publish that or is it? Still- I did not self-publish it, but I, I work on it a little bit every day, you know, like, oh, so like it's still just, in, I'm just trying to figure out, it's still in stealth mode, but I'm just trying to figure out like what, how do I make it as relevant to as many people as possible without watering it down? And so I put it aside for a couple of years, but it's not dead. That is the question, right? Relevant to <clears> as many people as possible without watering it down. Those two seem to be at odds with each other. They are. They very much are. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that very few people, well, it depends on how you, you, you know, you know, you measure it on a relative basis. There aren't that many millionaires in the United States. I mean, there are actually millions, right? But a publisher wants to think about what's a problem that a hundred million people have, right? <laughs> Everybody wants to lose weight, make more money or get laid. Those are the three big themes those are three human themes that are true for almost everybody in on the planet. And that's why there's so many books on that topic. When you write a book about how to solve rich people's problems, one of the problems you run into is that nobody identifies as rich. Mm. I don't think of myself as rich, not really, but I, I mean, empirically know that I am, but I know so many people who have more. I think about my affluence relative to them as opposed to the 99% of America to say nothing of the rest of the people on the globe who have less than I do. And so rich is relative, rich is a ratio of your wants versus your needs. And that makes publishing to an affluent audience kind of difficult. That doesn't mean it can't be done. It doesn't mean it shouldn't be done. But I think that there's, um, there are more effective ways to try to tell that story than just writing a book to the 0.5% of the people in the country. And that's on me. I got to figure that out. Yeah. But I definitely see the need for doing that. I don't know if you've encountered this, at least on this podcast, you're the guest. So you get to finally talk because you're asking all these really good questions of really smart people on your show. Do you ever find the need to try to balance that out? I mean, you learn so much 
and you'd love to, I'm sure you'd love to share it. Like I'd love to even take this podcast on a complete 180 tangent, just talk about money and learn from you what you've accumulated over 160 shows, but that's not what the show is. But you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. sure there, there'd be a, I'd love, do you have to do solo episodes or how do you get that information out? Well, I think it comes out. I think it comes out. You know, what I'm trying to do is have other people tell the story, you know, to have people go, you know, to piece it together. Okay. So for example, <clears throat> I interviewed a guy named Barry Schwartz. Barry wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice. He's a, he, he taught at Swarthmore Psychology at Swarthmore for decades. He's now at UC Berkeley. And he wrote this book called The Psychology of Choice. And it's a perfect, sorry, The Paradox of Choice. Paradox, yeah. And the paradox of choice is this. We as Americans believe, as Americans, as Western people, whatever, we believe that choice equals freedom and freedom is good. And if some freedom is good, then more freedom is better. But what happens is our brains can make good decisions with like two or three choices, beyond which we have a harder time deciding and we have far more regret when it comes to the choices that we make. And that is true whether we're picking out a can of soup a pair of jeans a, or a job or a life partner. All right. So really what we want is a limited number. We, we don't want Soviet deprivation, right? We don't want no, <laughs> no potato potatoes on Thursday, right? That's not choice, but we don't want, you know, 374 pairs of jeans, straight leg, boot cut, super skinny, you know, husky acid washed, right. stone washed, blah, 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 blah. Right. That just blows our brains out. And we're just like, just give me a couple of choices and let me, they, they call it satisficing, not, not optimizing, but like, give me something that satisfies basically eight out of 10 things that I need and I'll be good. Otherwise we, we, we overthink, we regret our decisions. We have FOMO, we have, uh, um, um, all this kind of stuff. So Barry, you know, that conversation is a great way to think about, okay, well, Maybe the assumption we make about other things like money, that, that if you have a hundred percent flexibility in how you spend your day, that it might actually be more of a, of a, of a mind screw than we anticipate because a job, for example, when you wake up every morning and you know where you have to be, it feels like a grind, but guess what? It, it satisfies your brain because your brain doesn't have to sit there and go, what should I do? What should mm. I do with my life? I can do anything. What if I pick yeah. the wrong thing? I've We're not prepared that. to do yeah. that. And, and then the job also provides like a place in the world, a job. And you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Okay. There's, there's safety, physiological needs, food and shelter, whatever. And then there's the belongingness, right? Above which is esteem and then self-actualization. All right. Belongingness isn't something you think about when you're working 70, 80 hours a week, flying a hundred thousand miles a year, missing your kids first communion, their, you know, their, yeah. their play, whatever their soccer game. That's not what you're thinking about. You're thinking about this job is getting in the way of me living my life. But in fact, that job provides you with a place in the world and respect from the network you've built in the industry. And you don't, you don't think about that until you bail or you get fired. And then you're, and then there's a reason, there's a reason beyond just the financial that people who lose their jobs get meaningfully depressed and it's mm -hmm. because their identity was stripped away from them. Now, granted there's a, the, the financial fear is also real and, and worth, 
you know, thinking through, but, but like, it's that it's, it, it's humiliation and it's a loss of a place in the world. We don't talk about that stuff. We take work for granted. And I took work for granted until I bailed. And by the way, I bailed with enough money to never have to work again. But these are one of some of the tricks that money plays on your mind. And yeah. you think, I don't need that paycheck. And you go, okay, maybe you don't need the paycheck. What about a place in the world? What about respect from coworkers and, and having, a, you know, having people who need you? What about that? Because you need that outside the home. The home is great and it's really important. But like, especially I think as men, we need to demonstrate our ability to contribute to the tribe in ways beyond just being a good dad, which by the way, there's nothing more important, but it doesn't mean that that alone is going to satisfy your desire to contribute to the world. Yeah. I'm going to pick up that spear and go get a woolly mammoth. It's absolutely true. Yeah. It's absolutely true. And we are those, we are our ancestors. I've been working on this comedy bit. Like we all talk about turning into our dads, you know, like beyond just losing our hair and bitching about the light bills and don't touch the freshly painted wall and all that kind of stuff. We don't turn into our dad. We turn into our dads, like going back thousands of years. We're not independent of the savages that, you know, roamed the savannas in Africa. With the, yeah. the way we see our tribe, the way we're wired to, to, to respond to fear and threats more than we are to good things is all based on on trying to stay alive on the savannah. And and like you think you're not hard coded with that stuff, you're wrong. Try to avoid it. See how that works. Yeah. Man, this is clearly a topic you're passionate about. Like you've you've created a podcast around what you love. Mm. What's challenging? What what's the what's the dark side? If this, if this is the just you living side. in a passion zone, what the what's the biggest dark challenge right now? Side. The dark side is when you forget to press record. Did you press record, Casey? I did. Thankfully, you know, there's so, a little icon saying recording. <laughs> no, the dark side, dude, is the same, it's the same self-doubt that we all have. And I have it, you know, one of the reasons I worked so hard for my entire life is because I if I if I work, and this by the way, is is why one of the reasons why work is so important is because I knew if I work hard and I get an A, then I'm doing okay. If I work hard and I get a, you know, I hit my goals and sales, then I'm doing okay. If I get a promotion, I'm doing okay. Blah, 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 blah. If I'm, if I'm moving forward, I'm doing okay. The challenge, sorry, there's a plane flying over. Is that your G4? No, 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 no. I quit. Uh, you know, had I stuck around at Facebook another couple of years, I would have a plane, but yeah. I didn't and I don't, and I'm okay with it. Really. I swear to God, I don't think about it ever. Um, <clears throat> just kidding. Um, no, but there's, I mean, there's a question of enoughness and I, and, and, um, and, and I know I walked away from my corporate career, not even thinking that people, I not even thinking that anybody I would ever know would have a plane. And yet I know dozens of people who fly private all the time. And so, um, and it's, it's a matter of controlling those voices in your head <clears throat> that, 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 that want to prey on your inadequacy. Um, and that's I, some, I, I might have taken off track with the, the G4. No, no, no. I'm going to come coming back to it. I'm coming back okay. to it, right? It's and that's the same thing in any creative pursuit. What happens is because now I'm a co comedian and a podcaster, right? And in any creative pursuit, you walk out of the structure of the corporate world where you know you have quarterly goals, you have annual compensation, blah, 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 and you get a report card, and then you know, you you're you get a paycheck, and that paycheck big or small is a biweekly reminder that you matter. Whereas doing a podcast, 
I can look at the numbers and say, okay, X thousands of people downloaded it, X thousands of people listened to it, but you don't have quite the same feedback mechanism that you have with, with the working world. With comedy, I'm out there, you know, <laughs> swear to this happened. Last Thursday night, I murder in front of a sold out theater, 700 people, something like that. Murdered, okay. murdered. Okay. Everybody told me I was a great guy. Sunday yeah. night, Sunday night, three nights later, I'm performing in front of six people, six cinco seis people, right? In a, in a, and it was, and it was just because it was the night between Halloween and, and the Saturday night before Halloween when everybody goes out. So nobody went out on Sunday night. Nobody's but out. it's like, it's like there is no like sort of like making it in comedy permanently. And it's like, and every show is a new opportunity to either prove yourself or just fall flat on your face. And so um, the self doubt is always there and it's always sort of talking to you in the back of your head. And it's like, my podcast should be bigger. I should be more popular as a comedian. I shouldn't have to work so hard to just get stage time. I've proven myself, yeah. but all that stuff is negative talk and it, and it doesn't help you at all. Um, certainly there was no shortage of that in the working world as well. It's just, it's just a different variety of the same kind of thing, you know, and, and, if you think, by the way, if you have a job that you're doing and you're pretty good at and you think, well, I'm going to quit my job and then I'm going to go chase my dream of fill in the blank, whether it's podcasting or becoming a chef or a painter or whatever it is, trust me that even if your career goes very, very well, your new career goes very, very well, you're going to have the same frustrations to some degree in your new gig that you had in your last one, because that's right. just work. That's what it is. And if we don't have problems, our brain will find them and there will be frustration. So I do have to stop and tell myself, I'm doing exactly what I want. I'm talking to interesting people. Um, I just have to change my metrics about what success looks like. I was making oodles and oodles of money in the corporate world. That's not part of the creative world until you figure out how to make yourself essential to somebody's life either as a podcaster or a comedian or an actor or whatever. And there's a lot of people out there trying to do the same thing. So the supply and demand of comedians is a more warped ratio than the supply and demand of articulate sellers of digital media. Mm -hmm. Morgan Housel, who's somebody I interviewed, he wrote a book called The Psychology of Money. And <clears throat> excuse me, he has a quote, which wasn't actually in the book, but was in another article that I wrote. The world doesn't care if you're good. It, the, the world doesn't pay for skill. It pays for scarcity. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so you've got to be good at something that other people aren't good at. And there's a lot of pretty good to very good comedians slash podcasters. So you have to have an angle on something that somebody else can't live without because there's a lot of substitutes for the product you're producing. If you're just producing sort of like a generically good podcast. And that's right. basically like, like, look, dude, I'll be honest with you. I'm a pretty good, I'm a, I'm more than a pretty good comedian and I'm more than a pretty good podcaster, but the world doesn't pay for that. The world pays for scarcity. So you got to figure out where do you fit where others don't. Have you, have you been using this to move yourself, like move your own podcast into like a monetization kind of thing ads? Have you, I mean, have you figured out how to make those metrics line up? Well, yes and no. 
the the fact of the matter is that from an advertising perspective the only way to make any interesting money whatsoever to even justify the effort you put into the ads world is to is scale you have to have at least 10,000 downloads an episode to really to make it's a lot I don't know it's a lot, a lot. to make 500 bucks an episode you need 10,000 or you know maybe a little bit more maybe a little bit less you know if all, if all if, if all of your listeners for example if you have a podcast that reaches 2000 people, but all 2000 of those people are anesthesiologists. You can monetize the hell out of that because yeah. that's an audience that's hard to find in other media. And there's a lot, there's, there, there are, there are parties who have very big profit margins who are interested in talk if they can connect with your audience. Right. But if you have 2000 people that are just, you know, above average and, you know, but they don't have anything in common, no spending habits in common. It's very difficult to monetize that, right? So, so undifferentiated audiences are, are hard to monetize. And I'm still not to the point where it's like, where it even makes sense to focus on the effort of monetizing it. Now I could monetize it if I said, Hey, you know what? I'm going to turn what I do into a service show for wealth managers. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to talk about, you know, exactly. I'm going to help them solve this one problem. And if I amassed, you know, an audience of wealth managers and I kind of talked generically about, you know, money, or if I talked about investment services and, you know, software to diversify your portfolio, there's money to be made selling those kinds of products, but that's not what I care about. Yeah. That and might so, actually suck <laughs> doing that. Well, I mean, and there's other people who know a lot more about it doing it than I do. And so I just am going to keep doing what I'm doing and continue to try to tweak it a little bit to make it as interesting as possible. And at a certain point, you know, I'm, I don't know, we'll see what happens. It either, it either, it's not going away. The question, and that's that, that's part of the frustration. It's like, it's good. It's, it's just not breaking through. And so why is that? You know, what, what can I do to continue to help it break through? And, uh, I don't have an answer for that at, at this juncture. When you do, we'll have you come back on and share the answer with everyone. All right. Um, I don't have the answer either, but you know, I think sometimes I'm bewildered. We're always looking at like bigger, bigger numbers. Oh, thousand. That'd be nice. Sometimes I just zero back in on like one on my stat. You know, if like, Mm. there's like one Mm -hmm. person that just spent an hour with me. Right. feels, I mean, it feels cool. It's weird though. I don't know they spent an hour, right? They could have bounced after five seconds, yeah. but uh, yeah. it's so neat to think that someone joined you, even one person, human somewhere joined you on this journey as right. you're learning from a Nobel prize winner or something like yeah, that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, the rewards are, um, you know, if, if it was one person, you might as well just pick up the phone and call them. Cause you don't have to read a book to, you know, to have yeah. a phone call, but whatever, but no, I mean, there's a, it, and that's the, that's the crazy thing about it. It's like, because of the podcast, I've met people I never would have met before. You know, I I am now casually friendly with a couple dozen people that I would never have ever had reason to meet before. I'm in connection. I'm connected in a way beyond a Facebook connection, beyond a social media connection, beyond a email here or there. I'm connected to people in my life that I care about. People from grade school, high school, college. I mean, I was at my business school reunion a couple of weeks ago, and I had several people come up and tell me how much the podcast meant to them. Some of them with almost tears in their eyes. Really? And so, yeah, because I think that I'm talking about some things, especially as we get into middle age and sort of, we reach a, a, an inflection point in our career where people go, I can do whatever I want. 
and I have no idea what I should be doing with, with the next 20 years of my life. That, this, this is ha- that has happened dozens of times where I've had those conversations because nobody else talks about this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody just goes, oh, well, you're, you're successful. They don't, they don't, you know, their empathy doesn't, doesn't translate. Well, you must have it all figured out because you've hit a certain level of professional or financial status, but that doesn't, that's not enough. You know, we still, we, all of us need to figure out what to do when we quote unquote retire, whether that's at 65 or 72 or 55. And there's a big change coming from all of us. Hopefully we're going to live long enough to be able to, to work through it. But it's, mm-hmm. it's, it, it is a big, it's a mind bender, dude. It's a big mind bender. I just started, I just did mine at 42 and it was, that sort of like amplifies the, 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 the questions you ask yourself, like, what the hell am I doing? What yeah. am I all about? Who am I? And, and, and I've done my best to change the metrics by which I measure the impact of, of how I spend my days. And they're all intrinsic. They're all like, I get to learn. I get to talk to people that are interesting. I get to stay in touch with friends. I get to make strangers laugh. And yet, and yet, and yet, because I'm not making a half million dollars a year doing it, I kind of feel like I'm not quite doing it right. You know? It's tough, right? You, you, like you, as much as you think about the amazing conversations and the friends you've made, it does sometimes come back to those numbers and feels that way. Downloads sometimes. And- yeah. Well, you know, I'm like, it's, but I, I see, I see the games that my mind is playing on me. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm more aware of them than I was 10 years ago. I'm more aware of them than I would be if I weren't doing the podcast. And, and that's helpful, mm-hmm. but I, but, but that doesn't make them go away. And so it's not a matter of what thoughts come to our head. It's how we react to them and how we handle them. And do we let them drive our, our attitude and, and, and our actions, or do we say, despite the way you're talking to me, I'm going to keep going down this path. And at some point we'll figure it out. Yeah. At some point you're an overnight success <laughs> and then you're Joe Rogan getting forward to be, dollars, look, and he's like, I was just getting high with friends and recording it. You know I mean? Right. <laughs> if you ask him, he wasn't intentionally deliberate about anything. Well, the, well, yeah, but that was what's so beautiful. And, and if I have one regret about, um, podcasting it's that i didn't start earlier you know mm-hmm. and that's and i remember listening to mark Marin on my you know on my first generation iphone back in oh whatever 2010 let's say and going this guy's doing something important and my buddy mike who produced the podcast for the first three years was like you should do this and i'm like what would i do like i didn't i was like i don't i'm not i don't know you know, Marin was a, was a struggling comedian mm. until he, st- and I opened for him 16 years ago and Jeez. he was, he was a, fi- he was a fill in at the, the Irvine or Brea improvs. And he was not a happy guy and he did not sell well. And I remember like going, this guy's smart. This guy's got great jokes, but nobody knew who he was. And he was a bitter comic and it wasn't until he's still a bitter comic. He's just <laughs> selling theaters out. And it's the podcast that, that, that made that happen. But I remember thinking this medium's cool, but it just like, I don't, I didn't, I've, I've never jumped on a medium early. I, I didn't, I've right. never done Snapchat. I got a Snapchat. I got on TikTok like a year ago, right? Like I've never been an early adopter. And I, I just wish that I would have gotten into, into, into podcasting earlier, but to your audience, if you're starting thinking of starting a podcast, don't do it. 
there's enough podcasts out there already. We don't need the competition. <laughs> we don't want your competition coming in here. I, I've actually figured out a way to monetize my, my experience and skill, Casey. And here it is. Tell me. For $10,000, I will talk you out of starting a podcast. Okay. That's my new, that's my new business model. What do you yeah, think? You know, it's, I'll offer that to my uh, future customers when we try to launch their <laughs> podcast. I'll say, okay, look, launch a podcast is this much, but if you want someone to talk you out of it, yeah, I'll just can I get like a little referral affiliate credit? Oh, absolutely, for that? absolutely. Right, cool. I'll save I'll save those people forty thousand dollars net over yeah. four years. <laughs> like Hell you over know what? Two years probably. That's perfect. Perfect. We get on a we get on a group call, conference call. Okay, <laughs> I'm gonna try to sell you on it. He's gonna try to talk you out of it. That's right. <laughs> point counterpoint. So good, man. I'll also well, I'll also talk you out of starting to play pickleball, by the way, because that's even far more insidious than than uh, podcasting. Pickleball is insidious. I can't even believe it's even a, a topic. Can't even believe it's even a thing. It's kind of like football in Canada. Uh, so with that, last question. Where, and I know we're kind of running up on time here. Where do you see your podcast 50 shows from now, like a year or 100 shows from now? Like you know, we chat again in 50 episodes. What's different? What's the same? God, mm-hmm. oh, that's a good question, dude. Um, you can see me twisting in my chair as you as you force me to think about things. I think I need not to take a sabbatical. I need to stop and say, how do I how do I take, you know, the way I've been answering your questions today is unfiltered. Um, I'm not self-editing. I'm answering passionately. And if I could do that when I'm talking to the camera, as opposed to answering your questions, then I think the podcast would be far more successful. And I think I need to figure out how to bring more of that passion to each episode because asking people questions and sort of putting it all on them, even as prepared and all that as I am, it's not it's not as engaging as listening to somebody talk about what they really deeply care about. And so I think I've got to get more of that. I, I got to get more emotion into the podcast. As How do you do that? Po- if you're asking questions? Well, that's a good, that, that's a good question. Um, I think the, I think bringing humor to it, trying to think through, just really think through the questions that, you know, I don't want to shock my guests, but I think to ask them things that are going to put them back on their heels just a tiny bit or to look inside themselves. Like the question I asked about AJ Vaynerchuk, that conversation with, it should be like two guys talking at a bar, you know, it shouldn't be about like, you know, it, it should be less about podcasting should be, should be true, you know, like two people talking as opposed to you know, one person with a microphone asking questions to the next person. Okay. And then what happened? And then what happened? Although there's some of that, that really needs to be explored, especially if you're trying to tell stories, like if you're trying to expose, or if you're trying to share things that happened with companies and, and, and executives that, you know, that embezzled money, you have to allow them to tell the story. But I think you've really got to get into the, have people bear their souls to you. As a buddy of mine asked me, he's like, how does your program stimulate my lizard brain? Hmm. How do you, and because that's why when you see TV shows about money, what are they called? American greed, mm-hmm. dirty money. They're called, there they're things that are either about like, or it's real housewives of orange County where it's just like these caricatures of what rich people look like, or it's crime or it's greed or it's theft, 
or it's families that fell apart because of money. All those things stimulate either are they either turn us on or scare us, right? Um, or draw you in some way. And that's why murder podcasts are so popular is because they really, and, and many series on Netflix are so, you know, like the Jeffrey Dahmer thing. It's like empirically you, you hear about that and go, that's horrible. But you know, the reptilian part of our brain is going, Oh, tell me more. Tell right. me more. This guy did what? Oh my God. And so um, I think the way we could do that in terms of stimulating that, that emotion, that connection is to get people to just really say things they wouldn't say other places, you know, like to say, to, to tell me what they're really thinking about, you know? Yeah. About yeah. And, and more of a two-way conversation, less of an interrogation, less, less of an interview, right? Cause the interview it, it kind of encourages them to be polished. Sometimes I try to tell stories back in order to do that, but then it's that fine balance of they didn't, we're not tuning in to hear me tell a story. We're tuning in to hear you tell a story, but, but you need to hear that as a guest so that you know that it's like a two-way street here and it's not just me asking you the same questions. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now you got me thinking for my for my interview on Monday. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be more more provocative. Not not just to be a jerk, not just to try to make somebody feel bad, but to get more humanity out of the out of the guest. Yeah. I think as long as they're ready for it or they know it's going to happen, then hmm. it can be fun. Like i I try to prep my folks to say like if you tell a story, I'm going to tell you one back, mm. which seems, you know, like a silly thing to have to mention, but it's almost like, no, I'm not taking the stage from you. I'm kind of helping give you something so you know how to work me. You know, I'm giving you some more fodder to work it back. But yeah, interesting. So we'll have to chat again in 50 and, and you'll have to tell me you've- That's a lot of pressure, Casey. That That's a lot of pressure, man. <laughs> <laughs> Pressure's on. I like it. I like Push it. Is on. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. Where can people connect? Throw out the podcast, throw out URLs, wherever you want yeah. to go. Well, um, if you if you have an iPhone, the best place to listen to anybody's podcast, because this is sort of the, uh, uh, your Apple statistics are your, are, are your basically your surrogate numbers for how your podcast is doing. So go to, go to the Apple podcast app and, and search crazy money. Spotify is a great second place one, if you, especially if you don't have iOS. Uh, I love me some Spotify. Uh, so go to Crazy Money wherever you get your um, your podcasts on. Be sure to rate it and leave a review. I would greatly appreciate it. And my website where I have my show dates for comedy is paulollinger.com. That's O-L-L-I-N-G-E-R. Boom. There it yeah. is. So many more questions to ask. So we will have to have you come back. Maybe I'll have to prep these questions and we'll have to talk through it. Um, dude, thank you again, Paul. You're the man. Yeah. Thanks for being on here. Great to meet you, Casey. Thank you for having me. All right, everyone. If you've learned something from this, and I freaking know you have, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back, then share this <laughs> with someone. Be a thought leader to one person, nine people, 3,004 people. That's how you get good information in other people's hands. And with that, Paul, thanks again, dude. Thanks for having me. See you next time. All right, everybody. It's been another crazy episode of Creating the Greatest Show. We'll see you all next time. And next time doesn't have to be next week. Life's too short and we have way too much to talk about. Find show notes full of takeaways, lessons, and links at creatingthegreatestshow.com. For more information on launching your own podcast or working with us to produce your existing show, come on down to the big tent at ringmaster.com. Until then, friends, whatever you do, do it with all your might. 
work at it if necessary early and late in season and out of season not leaving a stone unturned and never deferring for a single hour that which can be done just as well now pt barnum